Hey, Greg, could you close the door, please? Thanks. You guys ready? You ready? Okay. I'm ready. Some marketing genius somewhere uh, said perception is reality. So what do you think? Would you agree or disagree? I've shared this illustration with you before. But in the 16th century, everyone believed that the Earth was the center of the solar system. Everyone believed that the sun revolved around the Earth. It was an indisputable fact. It was the unquestioned science of the day. It was a no-brainer. If you don't believe it, just go outside and watch the sun come up over here and watch it set over there. Everyone knew that the uh, Earth was the center of the solar system. Guess what? <laughs> Everybody was wrong. Universal uh, perception. Universal perception was wrong. You remember a guy named uh, Copernicus? Anybody remember him? Anybody? What did he, what did he do? All you science scholars, you know what he did, right? He's the guy that figured out that the sun is the center of the solar system. He's the one that figured that out. So what everybody knew to be unquestionably true was in fact false, right? It was quite a revolution uh, in the scientific world. I've got another illustration I've shared with you before, but I want to share it again. You ever noticed how, and in fact, Monsia mentioned this on the way from Famagosa uh, just a few moments ago. We are talking about the herd mentality. You ever noticed how human, human beings just, they just like to get in a herd and go with the herd. It doesn't really matter where the herd's going. I just want to be in one, right? I just want to be in the herd. But you guys know about lemmings, right? I've shared, I think I've shared this story with you before. You know about Scandinavian, Scandinavian lemmings. You know what they do. Uh, you know what they are, right? They're just little fat. Uh, rodents, little furry hamster kind of like people, things, animals. Um, and uh, in Scandinavia, when the, when the food will grow scarce, they'll just up and migrate in mass. They just up and migrate in mass, and they'll come to a body of water, and they'll just jump in, even if they can't see the other side of the shore. They can swim for a little while, but they can't swim very long. And so even when they come to the ocean, they'll just jump right in. And of course, you know what happens to the lemmings, right? The lemmings drown. Uh, most of humanity mimics this behavior. We just get in the herd because the herd's doing it without really ever critically thinking. We do a lot of things like this. In fact, I would, I would challenge you to examine your life and see what you do simply because everybody else is doing it. I suspect you might find uh, one or two things that you're doing only because you have this drive to conform. One of my seminary professors had a, a picture hanging on his wall that was quite unforgettable. It would, it would just kind of reach out and grab you by the throat and yank you in. But it was a, it was a pretty large picture. and uh, The picture was uh, just a, a line of people as far as you could see, uh, stretching out over the horizon, just a line of people as far as you can see. And they were just um, marching off the end of a cliff, a precipice, and presumably into the abyss, presumably into hell. And they're just marching. They're just lined up like soldiers and they're just blindly following the one in front of them and they just fall into the abyss. You know what that picture is? That, that picture is, is really a, a commentary on human nature and how we have this need to just follow the herd. It doesn't matter how stupid the herd is. It doesn't matter that they're headed for a precipice. 
It doesn't matter that logic and reason and biblical truth argue against the direction we're going. Man, it's hard to get out of that herd, right? It's hard to get out of that herd. It's that Copernicus thing. You know, it's, it's buying into that false perception that, that most of mankind buys into. It's the, the limbing thing. It's following the herd and sometimes, most often, the herd. In fact, Monsia said it. It's the wide gate, what? That leads to destruction, right? So, in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, Paul says it this way. Mankind has exchanged the truth of God. Does anybody know? For a lie. Mankind has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He swapped it, he traded it, and he substituted it. It started in, in the garden with Adam and Eve. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and mankind is still doing it. Satan keeps whispering in our ears, Hey, it's all about you! And we're believing it! And he says, It's all about this life. It's all about this world. You need to get as much as you can now. You need to eat, drink, and be merry. It's all about you. And most of mankind is still believing it. Most of mankind is still believing it. There's that great book. I mentioned it to you before. Uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. Is everybody familiar with this book? It's, it's a book of, uh, uh, obviously fictional, uh, the senior demon Screwtape is, is counseling and mentoring his, his nephew, the, uh, the apprentice demon, uh, Wormwood. Okay? And he's trying to help Wormwood to keep his patient, who is a human, to keep the patient from becoming a Christian, right? And uh, Screwtape says something uh, to Wormwood. He says, man, we've got these human beings completely fogged about reality. And I love that because that's what Satan does. He says, just get in the herd. Just go with the herd. Live on perception. Don't worry about ultimate truth. Don't worry about what God says. Just get with the herd. Just go with the herd. I always love that illustration. Uh, Satan has got most of humanity completely fogged. He is the consummate marketing genius. You want to know a marketing genius? His name is Satan. He can spin a lie so good, you'll believe it's the truth. He's the consummate marketing genius. But born-again Christians don't fall for His lie, right? Born-again Christians don't fall for His lie. We know it's not about us, don't we? How many of you know it's not about you? Anybody out there? It's not about us, and we know who it's about. Who is it about? Anybody? The Lord Jesus Christ. So Satan can't spin his lies with us. We know it's not about us. We know it's about Jesus. And so as John Piper says, we don't squander our lives... If you hadn't read this book, I dare you to read this book. If you hadn't read it, I dare you. Don't waste your life. So we don't waste our life chasing bubbles that burst. This is what Satan sells. Satan sells bubbles that bursts. He tells you it's going to make you happy. It's going to fill you up. It's going to give you satisfaction. It's going to be all that you ever wanted. It's going to fill your heart and your soul up. And you're going to be so happy. And what you find out these bubbles burst. These worldly bubbles burst. If you haven't read this book, I dare you. And by the way, for you new people, the books are free, okay? So come, come and uh, get one and read it. I'd love for you to do that. So tonight we're going to finish 1 John. It's been an awesome book. I hate to finish it, 
Man, I only did 20 sermons in John. It just seems like we're just, I don't know. It doesn't seem like we've been in it long enough. I've just loved it so much. I love its simplicity. I love it that it's pristinely clear. I love it that there's an utter lack of ambiguity in it. God says, this is how my kids look and this is how they live. It's just that simple. This is what they look like. And this is how they live their life. I love it. It's a beautiful, beautiful... There's no vagueness. There's no uncertainty. And as John closes the book, as we talked about last week, uh, he just, he, we're, we are awash in certainties. God wants us to know we're His. Why, why does God want us to know, know we're His? What have we been saying for the last, I don't know, six, three months, whatever? Why does God want us to know that we're His? Because he, want, he wants us to... Yes, it's about knowing that we're eternally secure, and that's, that's a part of it. But He also wants us to know that we're His, that we might live like we're His. Let me ask you, Christian friend, or unbelieving friend out there, If you're a Christian tonight, are you living like you're His? Can the world see Jesus in your life? You know, that's that's our shorthand here. We live in such a way, Lord willing, we live in such a way that we we make Jesus famous in the world. He's already famous, but, but we just magnify Him all the more. We just magnify Him all the more. So, we've discovered, as we studied 1 John, that Christianity has nothing to do with religion. Right? Nothing. It has absolutely nothing to do with religion. Everybody know that? Everybody understand that? It has nothing to do with dead or false uh, religion. Nothing. What does God say? You know, it's, He doesn't mention denominations. He doesn't mention ordinances. He doesn't mention sacraments. He doesn't mention uh, pilgrimages or dogma. Oh, this is one of Satan's best marketing ploys. False religion. Dead religion. It's not about any of those things. It's about Christ. It's about you knowing Him. It's about you loving Him. It's about you living in a way that He is magnified. That's what it's about. It's not about anything else. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that ordinances are wrong or, or um, those kinds of things are wrong. I'm saying that's not essentially what uh, being a Christian is about. That's not essentially what it... It's about, it's, about, it's about Christ. It's about really believing Him. It's about really loving Him. And it's about really uh, obeying Him. Let me ask you, Christian friend, is that, is that the signature of your life? Is that the aroma of your life? Can people tell, man, they love Jesus. That guy loves Jesus. <laughs> I told you many times, my seminary professor, he would see a man or woman hopelessly in love with Christ, and he'd say, man, that guy smells like God. <laughs> Let me ask you, friend, do you smell like God out in the world? Do you smell like God? That's what, we're supposed to, that's what we're supposed to smell like. We're supposed to smell like Him. So the hallmarks of, of genuine Christianity, we talked about it a lot. God says, my kids believe my Son, they love my Son, they obey my Son, and they love one another. They love His body. This is, this is Christianity. This is it. God says... Uh, my children will believe my son, love my son, obey my son, and they will love one another. This is true Christianity. This is the message of First John. And one of, the, one of the ways that a genuine Christian lives like he belongs to God is he's able to rightly discern perception and reality. 
He knows what's true. He knows what's false. Doesn't mean we might not be confused for a few minutes or two, but if we'll go to our Word and we'll, ask, we'll go to the Bible and we ask the Holy Spirit for help, we'll rightly divide the truth. We'll know what's false and what's true. In Christ, we, we, are, we no longer do the, the, the limbing thing. We no, no longer mindlessly follow the herd. We don't chase bubbles that burst anymore. We stop doing that. Because we're in white-hot pursuit of the living God. His name is Jesus Christ. I'll just ask you again, Christian friend, are you in white-hot pursuit of Christ? If you're not, if you're not, John Piper says, you're wasting your life. You were made for that. You were made to pursue Him. You were made to know Him. You were made to love Him. You were made to magnify Him in the world. That's the only reason He's left you here. Friend, it would be far better for you if He took you to heaven. It would be far better. What did Paul say? I'm hard-pressed. I'd like to go, but I need to stay. Why does He need to stay? To magnify Christ. That's why we're here. It's the only reason He's left us on the planet. It's not to hoard up and get rich and have fun. The Lord doesn't mind us having fun. That's a good thing. But preeminently, we're here to magnify the Lord Jesus. So as we close out 1 John, as I told you last week, there are, there are seven no's, K-N-O-W, seven no's uh, in these last nine verses. And there are four in the last four verses. This is about certainty. God says, I want my kids to know. I want them to be out of the fog. I want them to come out of the herd. And I want them to, to walk with me. We saw two weeks ago, verse 13. You know this famous verse in 1 John chapter 5. God says, I want you to know that you have eternal life. I want you to know that you do, so you'll live like you do. A fully persuaded Christian lives a fully persuaded life. We said it uh, 101 times as we've gone through this uh, study. Last week we saw, God says, I want you to know I hear your prayers and I'm going to answer them perfectly every single time. I want you to know, God says. And then verse 18. We know that no one who is born of God sins. Okay, we've talked about this a few times. I think it might be good to cover it one more time because John makes several categorical statements like this about sin. You would almost think that if, if you read 1 John carelessly, you might come away with the idea that, that John is preaching sinlessness, that a Christian has to achieve sinless perfection. Is that what, is that what John is, is teaching in the book of 1 John? If that's what John is teaching... Uh, this book would not be the book of assurance. It would be the book of damnation. Because if, if you're a Christian like me, you know you are not sinless. You know you're not sinless. But how do we know from the text, how do we know that he is not teaching sinlessness? Actually, you heard, uh, uh, you heard the text read, right? We heard the text read. Yvonne read the text. Did you hear it? it she read that text. I don't know if she gave the... the uh, the citation on it, but it's 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 8 through chapter 2, verse 2. Listen. If we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. We make God a liar, and His Word is not in us. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He is the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? Remember I told you, if you're, supposed, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to know this word. Does anybody know? Propitiation. Nobody knows. Okay. All right. We need to work on that. 
Propitiation means Jesus has removed the wrath of God. He has removed the penalty of sin off of you. He took it on Himself. That's all it means. He took it. He's your propitiation. He took God's wrath in your behalf. So John, we, we, we can clearly see from 1 John, he is not teaching that we achieve sinless perfection. What he's teaching is that we, we have the power not to sin. We no longer live in a, a lifestyle of, uh, of unbroken sin. We no longer have a lifestyle of unbroken sin. We are no longer slaves to it. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 6? He says, we have been freed from sin and we are now enslaved to God. Are you enslaved to God? Is that uh, the signature of your life? Are you enslaved to God? And he says, while you were slaves to sin, now you have become obedient from the heart. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. Romans chapter 6. You have become obedient. So he's not teaching perfection. He's teaching direction. This is the, the momentum, direction, and thrust of our life is to move toward Christ, putting down sin, and becoming more and more conformed into the image of Jesus. Okay? I've, we've taught that four or five times through the gospel, or pardon me, through the letter of 1 John, but I thought it was important that we cover that one more time. Let's look at the rest of verse 18. But he, that's Jesus, but he who was born of God keeps him, the believer, And the evil one does not touch him. Did you get that? His personal pronouns can be a little confusing. But he, that's Jesus, was born of God, keeps him, the believer, and the evil one does not touch him. That says, I want you to know, I want you to know that Jesus keeps the believer, and I want you to know that the evil one has no power in their life. He cannot touch you. He cannot touch you. We saw it a hundred times. Okay, nine times. Um, it seems like a lot. Uh, in, the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, He says it over and over and over. He talks about how we are love, how the believer, the true believer is a love gift from the Father to the Son. And Jesus says, I'll never lose one of you. Ever. And I've told you this many, many times, but I love it. It makes my heart beat fast. There, I could give you a lot of doctrinal reasons why you'll never lose your salvation, but the mo I think one of the preeminent ones is that Jesus counts you so precious because he, you're a gift from the Father. You're a gift from the Father. We have that eternal security. And he said, Jesus says, I'll never lose one of my sheep ever. Never. It's impossible. No one can take uh, one of Jesus' sheep from him. You are in his omnipotent grip. Don't you love that? You are in his omnipotent grip. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. I lay my life down for them. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand or my Father's hand. You know the famous question, rhetorical question in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 8. What is it that can separate us from the love of God? What? Nothing. No one. Satan's formidable among angels and men, but he is nothing compared to God. And once God does a thing, Satan can't undo it. He can't undo it. Satan is powerless against Jehovah God. He's powerless. And God says, the evil one does not touch my children. He does not. And we can talk about Job and Peter, but that's another sermon. 
But God was, was allowing Satan to use his evil, but God was, doing it for, was, working for, he was working for good in it. But that's another sermon. Don't have time to go there. I love what Jude 24 says. It says that He is able to keep us. He is able to keep us. What does God say in Romans chapter 8? I am for my people. Hey, Satan can't even bring a valid accusation against you. This is what Romans 8 says. He can't even bring in a valid accusation against you. God says, I'm for my people. No one brings a charge against my people. And this is the relentless course of the Bible. Our absolute, perfect, ultimate, eternal security in God. I love how, I love how the message paraphrases 1 John 5.18. It says it like this. I love this. The God begotten or the God protected. Isn't that beautiful? The God begotten or the God protected. I love that. Verse 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Two more certainties for the Christian. We are of God and we know it. And we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know it. We get that. And so we live. Accordingly, what God, uh, God has done for us in the spiritual realm, what Copernicus did for the, the world of science. He's opened our eyes. We are no longer uh, a, a slave to perception. We now know the truth. He's given us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. From the very beginning, I told you in the Garden of Eden, the, the marketing genius Satan has been selling this lie that God's not good. And that God is, is holding something back from you. And you can be like God. And he keeps, he keeps selling this lie. And human beings just keep believing it. But what did Jesus call uh, the devil in John chapter 8? Does anybody remember? He's the father of what? He's the father of lies. That's all he does is lie. He'll lie when the truth will work better. He's the father of lies. He's the father of of lies. That's who he is. That's who he is. Satan never deals in reality. He always spins a perception. Oh, that pornography is going to give you satisfaction. That shopping is going to give you satisfaction. That affair is going to give you satisfaction. That premarital sexual encounter is going to give you satisfaction. All that money will give you satisfaction. That career bump will give you satisfaction. It's going to make you happy. All that new house. Just get that new house. It'll fill you up. Oh, you need that new car. Get that new car. Friends, he's a liar. And the herd's going after him. The herd's just going after him. The herd's going with him. But God says, my kids know the truth. My kids know I'm the most satisfying thing in the cosmos. And that's why I said to you a while ago, we're, white, we're in white-hot pursuit after God. We don't chase this other junk. We don't chase bubbles at burst. We chase after and pursue the living God. God tells us the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now why is that so? We talked about it a couple of weeks. Why does the whole world lay in the power of the evil one? Why is that? Why is that true? Who did God give dominion of the earth to originally? Who did God give dominion to? Man. Who did man give it to? It's your fault. And it's my fault. And it's our forebear's fault. 
You know, everybody curses God. Why is the world like it is? Oh, I get, I get tired of that, friends. Don't do that around me. It's not good for my blood pressure. I hate that. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. It's our fault. We surrender dominion to the evil one. That's what we did. And the, 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 the language here, the, the, the original language here is, is very, it evokes a, a dramatic image. It's like the world lies in the lap of the evil one. It's like the world is in the embrace of the evil one. He's just got the world in his lap and he's just spinning it and controlling it and using it for his purposes. That's what the Word of God says. And, and the Bible says this in a, a lot of different ways. Just very quickly, a couple of verses here. Galatians 1.4 calls this age the present evil age. Ephesians 5.16 calls these days the days of evil. Colossians 1.13 the world is the dominion of darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Satan is the little g, God of this world. You know this, right? Little g, God of this world. Ephesians 2, 2 calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. John 12, 31 calls Satan the ruler of this world. Beloved, do you know this? Do you know this for your family and for your kids? And do you know this for yourself? That there's nothing in the world that's benign. Nothing in this world is benign. Satan is using it to deceive humanity. The whole fallen human world system. God says the whole world lays in His lap. Do you know that, the God, that He is the God of business? He is the God of industry. He is the God of commerce. He is the God of politics. He is the God of education. He is the God of media. He is the God of the arts. He is God of sports. He is God of entertainment. And yes, I've said it a couple of times already and I'll say it again. He's the God of false and dead religion. This is what God says. And God says, I don't want my kids to be confused about it. I want them to know that the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. So let me just stop and ask you a question. Is that how you see the world? Is that your worldview? Is that your worldview? Do you understand that, that Satan is controlling all of these elements of fallen uh, humanity? Is that your worldview? Well, that's what the Bible says. If you call yourself a Christian, then you're rejecting what God says. God says it lies in the lap and the embrace of the evil one. Satan, if you don't know this, friend, if you don't know this and you don't, if you're not on the lookout for this, trust me, Satan will subtly and slowly seduce you into the world. He will. He's beat a better man or better woman than you. He'll pull you in. He'll suck you in. He'll lie to you and he'll lie to you and he'll lie to you and he'll suck you in. It's like C.S. Lewis says, it doesn't really matter if, it's, if, if he puts this lust for a seat in Parliament or the lust for the bottle in your heart. It doesn't really matter as long as he gets you off God. This is what he wants to do, friend. He wants to get you off God. And I think... Too many times we don't think fully about this and we don't give heed to God's warning about this and we get caught up in perception and not reality. Friends, He's good at what He does and He'll, 
He'll steal your soul and, and, your, and your children right out from under you. This is what he does. God says, my kids understand that this is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war. God says, my kids understand. And let me just briefly note, you guys know this, what is the... Uh, what does God say about being friends with the world, being friendly with the world? What does God say about that? You know, several places He says it. But I'll just read it to you from James 4. 4. Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we saw it in 1 John over in chapter 2. He says, don't love the world or the things of the world. What's in the world? What does God say is in the world? The lust of the flesh. What else? The lust of the eyes. What else? The boastful pride of life. Man, that's just look at the world. Look at it. That's it. God says if you love the world, you, the love of the Father is not in you. Well, there's some good theology here. Some good theology. You remember Vanity Fair, don't you? In Pilgrim's Progress. And Pilgrim was, Christian was on his way to the celestial city and he passed through uh, Vanity Fair. And at Vanity Fair, you could exchange your soul for anything in the world i got a whole list here. I won't take the time to read them, but it's everything you can imagine. Everything you can imagine you can exchange your soul for in Vanity Fair. And as Christian, as Christian went through the fair, the merchants of Satan would cry out to him, Young man, what would you buy today from me? What would you give your soul for today? The world lays in the lap of the, e e the evil one. Let me ask you, friend. Have you made yourself a friend of the world? Are you enamored with something in this world over and above your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have more passion for something in this world than you have for God? Do you derive more pleasure and satisfaction from anything in this world than you derive from your relationship with God? Well, let me tell you, friend, if that's where you are, you're in trouble with God. You're in trouble. You're in jeopardy. You're in spiritual jeopardy. Satan is seducing you. Satan is seducing you. He is the great seducer. God says, my kids are not seduced. They are not deceived by perception. They don't do business with the father of lies. They don't shop at Vanity Fair. Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in uh, His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. At least five more certainties here uh, depending on how you divide it up. But John says, you know, how does John know? How can we take John's word for it? You remember the very first book, uh, verse of this book. What did he say? He said, I heard Him, I saw Him, I beheld Him, and I handled Him. John was an eyewitness. John walked with Jesus Christ for three years. But we know it too. We know it too. How do we know? Because we've, we've gotten into the Word of God and the Holy Spirit has given this testament, this good testament of the life of Jesus. We know Him by this and we know it because the Holy Spirit has taken us out of uh, darkness and into light. He's given us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. We can see Him. We know He's God. We're just like John. We know that Jesus is God. How many times does the word true appear in verse 20? Anybody? How many times does the word true appear? Which is in antithesis to the lives of Satan. How many times? Three times. 
God says, my people live on the truth. We've already acknowledged we don't do it perfectly. But He says, my kids live on truth. They don't deal in perception. They deal in reality. And reality is Jesus Christ. That's reality. That's it. My kids live. My kids live by reality. Verse 21. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. That seems like kind of a weird ending, right? <laughs> uh, you'd, you'd think he'd just exhort us, right? To a huge life of faith and belief. But he comes, little children, guard yourself from idols. This is, uh, it, seems a, it seems like a, a strange way to end, but, but uh, if you stop and think about it, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, it's perfect. What is an idol? Someone tell me in a biblical sense, what is an idol? Something you worship. Okay. Does it have, does it, are, are we exempt from idol worship because we don't bow down to gra graven images? Or are we culpable in idol worship? What is it that, that, that ultimately defines an idol? It's a God substitute. It's the things I was talking about earlier. Have you got something in the place where God's supposed to be? That place in the middle of your soul and in the middle of your heart. Is there something there that you love more than Him? That's an idol, friend. And you're guilty of idolatry. And the whole book of 1 John is, it's about Christ. And it's about loving Christ. And John says, don't let something else get in the middle of your heart. You're down here to love Jesus. And you're down here to live like you love Jesus. And you're down here to share the truth of Jesus that men and women, boys and girls, will be converted. That's the only reason He's left us on the planet. So it's a perfect ending. The whole book is about what a Christian looks like. It looks like a man or woman hopelessly in love with Christ. That's Christianity. All this other dead stuff is a lie. That's what Christianity is. So it's a perfect way to end, to end the book. I'm just going to real quick. Chapter 5 really is... Chapter 5 just... It summarizes the book perfectly. So I'm just going to really hammer this fast, okay? The first three verses of chapter 5, God tells us, God tells us that he, he gives us the hallmarks of true conversion. He says that we believe, in, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, we, we love the brethren, and we obey Jesus. Uh, first three verses. The next four, uh, verses 4 and 5, it says, My kids overcome the evil one. They overcome the world. How do we overcome the world? Someone tell me. Remember? By what? By faith we overcome. By faith we overcome. Remember that great word in there? We are Nike. We are champions. Greek word, Nike. We are champions. We are unconquerable. We overcome the world. Uh, verse 6, God says, uh, uh, not only did I come, verse 6, but I, I've given you credible evidence that I've come. Verses 7 through 10, I've given you irrefutable witness that I've come. Man, I could go back and preach that again. That was awesome. I love that. He says, verse 11, I've given you the, the life of my son, the very life of my son. I've given you eternal life. In verse uh, 13, we saw two weeks ago, we know, God says, I want you to know you have eternal life. I want you to know your prayers are answered. Verse 14 to 15. I want you to know you, you are born again and you are delivered from the power of sin. Verse 18. I want you to know your mind. Verse 19. I want you to know that the father of lies is the little g God of this world. I want you to know that I want you to keep your guard up and he says I want you to know that that uh, you are secure in me forever verse 20 I think Paul says it well and I'm through 2nd Corinthians 4 18 
I always love this verse. We're not, like, we're not like lemmings, man. We don't do the lemming thing anymore. We don't do that. The children of God don't do that. Paul says, we don't look at the things that are seen. You know this verse, right? Paul says, we don't look at that anymore. We're not, we're not enamored with that anymore. But at the things which are not seen. That's what drives our life. Not the things that are seen. The thing, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal, he says. That's, God's saying, that's how my kids live. <laughs> they don't get uh, entangled and, and, and ensnared and, and uh, they don't give their heart away to the things they can see. They give their heart away to me. They give their heart away to that which is eternal. So God has called His children out of the fog. We, don't, we no longer chase bubbles that bursts. We have met reality. We know reality. We love reality. And what is reality's name? Jesus Christ. And we are His church. And we are here to magnify Him and glorify Him in this place. Whatever church you're in, that's your job. Magnify Christ and serve the body. If you're not doing those two things, friends, you've got your Christianity all wrong. It's not biblical Christianity. You're doing somebody else's definition of Christianity. It's not God's definition. God's definition is you magnify my son, you love the body. That's it. That's 1 John. That's the book of 1 John. He gave us this book for one preeminent reason that you might know that you are His and then you might go live like it. I want to challenge you, church. No more lukewarm Christianity. No more Sunday Christianity. It's full out all the time, Monday through Saturday. Magnifying Christ. Loving the body. Serving the body. Witnessing to the lost. That's the signature of a true Christian according to 1 John. Let's pray together. Father, what an awesome book. What an awesome thing. You've not only revealed Yourself to us, You've, you've revealed You've re revealed how You've called us to live. Father, some of us in here may uh, maybe have just simply been playing church. Some of us in here may be Christian in name only. Some of us in here may be in love with something in the world. We may lust after something more than you. And Lord God, we know that that is a stench in your nostrils. For who is like you, O Lord? Who is like unto you? Awesome in praises, doing wonders upon the earth. Saving a people for Himself. 
How could we love anything more than you? It's unthinkable, really. It's unbelievable. It's unfathomable that we could love anything or anyone over you. You're our great Father. You have come for us and, and in the person of Jesus and, and laid your life down for us. You've purchased us and redeemed us. How could we flirt with the world? Forgive us, Lord God, if we have been guilty of flirting with the world. Forgive us. May we repent of that right now. May we repent of that right now. May we walk out of this room, Father, wholly committed to magnifying You, to loving the body, serving the body, and witnessing to the lost. May that be the signature of our life, Father, individually and corporately as a church. Thank You for this awesome book. Thank You that we can know we belong to You. Thank You for the assurance You give us so we can live fully persuaded lives. We don't have to be timid and afraid and intimidated by the world. Greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. Satan is a joke compared to you. The world is nothing compared to you, compared to your power. May we live like we belong to you, great God. Great boldness. Believing you for miracles. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.